And here we go. Let's spritz this goose. <laughs> I don't apocalypse on Shabbos. <laughs> Trump Shabbos. <laughs> I say that doesn't sound like too good of a story for him then. <laughs> yes, it's an 80s film, but it's a quintessential 80s film. That motherfucker gets me excited about science. But yes, I, I do think that this movie requires a couple more views. I have the same cup size as Doc Hawk. <laughs> Give me my sandwich. <laughs> no crusts. Was it an instant classic for you? Uh, no. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moviegoers of all ages, welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film past or present absolutely amazing, or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. I was uh, busy checking the specs on the rotor um, over <laughs> there. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, man, how's it going? <laughs> I am fabulous. Thank you. Uh, yeah, great. It's it's so good to hear your voice. It's it's, right. su- it's such a joy. It's such a nice bookend to this, to this week. So, yeah. <laughs> That's exciting. <laughs> I guess. I like um, books. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. How are you? Good, good. No complaints. E3 just got kicked off this weekend, so I'm excited. I, Soaking I in all the video game news. Oh, I know. It's uh, PS4 Days of Play, so I took full advantage of that at work, and I got Spider-Man. I got Spider-Man number uh, one for PS4. And uh, I guess there's not any other ones for PS4, but (laughs) (laughs) I got Spider-Man and I've been playing that and I got a new year subscription of uh, PSN. So I'm I'm stoked. My subscription ends on the 24th and I'm actually toying with the idea of even renewing it because I don't really play with anybody on PlayStation. I'll play play with you. So so no, (laughs) I don't like playing with you. You're me. That's not what that's not what Alex said. Mm. <laughs> um, I I did the same thing. I haven't had uh, PS Plus for like like three months, and I was waiting for something like this because it's twenty bucks off. It's I mean it, it's a good deal. You, right. you should take advantage of it. So, yeah. it, anyways, Justin, so glad to hear from you. What movie are we going to review today? Ooh, movies. Oh. We'll do plural. With a Z. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know. So you know what I mean. Businesses. (laughs) Yeah. Lowercase T's. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, We are going to be doing The Evil Dead from 1981 as well as Evil Dead from 2013. We are going to pick a side, draw a line in the sand, and just kill each other until there's a winner. I don't like sand because it's coarse and it gets, <laughs> it gets everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> Shut it. <laughs> uh, well, I'm excited. I, I enjoy both of these motion picture shows. I think they both have a lot to offer. But I do prefer one over the other in the sense of enjoyment. I think one's just a little bit more scarier and a little bit more fun as opposed to the other. Yeah, and I'm glad you say that. I mean, I I prefer one over the other as well. I think it was a, this was probably my most favorite um, endeavor yet that we've done because it was neat. I mean, it, I had to watch two movies, but it was neat to compare them back to back. Um, and like you said before, horror genre, the horror genre is a, um, I wouldn't say uh, easy. We call them harlots now? 
<laughs> the seamstresses. Um, I wouldn't say that it's an easier thing to remake, but I really am excited to talk about some of the the um, similarities and differences, and and kind of gauge your your opinion on on how you felt about them. So yeah, um, absolutely, man. Um, so uh, the nineteen eighty one uh, evil, the Evil Dead, the in the in in the title is is the distinguishing factor but the evil dead stars um the amazing bruce campbell as ash uh ellen sandweiss richard deman demanicor betsy baker Teresa tilly philip a gillis dorothy tapper hey dick is in this movie <laughs> and is uh directed by sam raimi uh this was his feature uh debut um, very, very low budget film, clearly. But um, yeah, that's who it stars. What about the two, 2013 cast? Um, are, you want me to do that, Justin? Uh, no, I can do it. It's fine. You got uh, it. So it's directed by Fetty Alvarez, who's a fine young man. I actually got to interview him once with Geek Legacy. Fantastic. Did you really? Yeah. Oh, cool. Nice. Um, the film you, stars. What? What were we going to say? Did, did you say you were going to eat his soul? No. Oh, darn it. That's just weird, man. <laughs> but the whole the whole time there was this guy with this microphone that said flick on it, but from far away it kind of looked like it said fuck on it. <laughs> and I was just like staring at this stupid microphone for like a good hour. It was driving me nuts. What kind of hotel is this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Honestly. Let that guy in through the back door. Okay, uh, sorry. That's all right. The film stars uh jane is it levy we'll say jane levy, levy. levy yeah. yeah when the levy breaks she plays mia you got shiloh fernandez who plays her brother david you got lou taylor bucci who's eric jessica lucas elizabeth blackmore um and then a bunch of nobodies that don't make a difference those that's your main crew in the cabin um, fun fact, though, uh, I guess this is kind of quickly jumping into trivia. Uh, Joel Cohen was a producer for the for the original 1981, The Evil Dead, um, which is great because the Cohen brothers are some of my favorite directors of all time. So it was neat that he was a producer in this film. That was nice. Um, also, real quick, uh, Ellen Sandwise, who you mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. um, she has her voice is actually credited in. Um, this movie uh, her, her voice is yeah yeah it says um cheryl from the original evil dead and it's quoted as just her voice so you probably hear her saying weird oh yeah in the movie uh, i mean it's, pro it's probably pretty subtle and you wouldn't know it unless it's said so yeah it's interesting cool. yeah fun callback cool um so how did they do I'll, I'll let you do both of them how did they do for the 81 and the 2013 version as far as like Criti money or critical? uh, cri critically sorry Okay, uh, well, the thing about reviews, or at least finding reviews, the internet wasn't a thing back in 1981. <laughs> well, Al Gore didn't invent it. <laughs> and I wasn't going to go through the library and use that little microfish thing and just thumb through stuff and find all the amazing headlines like in the movies in like eight seconds. Extra, extra. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to do. Uh, but a lot of folks revisited this movie. Um, so most of these reviews are, are relatively current, but uh, we got some fun ones here. Steve Grant from Time Out says, short on characterization and plot, but strong on atmospheric horror and visual churns. I, I believe that. I, I like I, butter. I, I, I could get behind that. I'm, I'm stepping on what he's spitting. 
<laughs> uh, James Berardinelli says, To say that the Evil Dead movies are not for everyone is an understatement. A strong stomach is required. Ooh. That's, uh, that's insightful, my friend. <laughs> my stomach is the strongest. Good job on you. Um, here, <laughs> uh, here's a fun guy. Matthew Samuel M. It has its moments, but it's largely unimpressive. It's too campy and too silly to be taken seriously or to be scary. The premise is interesting, but the plot feels too restricted. The movie had potential, but was executed poorly. Idiot! He doesn't know anything. Wow. That was the 81 version that he was saying? Yes. Wow. Yeah, that's that's rough. That's like a rough, like a... That dog that takes a bite out of crime. <laughs> Scruff, Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. All right. <laughs> Dude, I, I remembered it. It was a good jingle. <laughs> how, does it, how does it go? It goes, Scruff McGruff, Chicago, Illinois, 60652, and take a bite out of crime. Ooh, is that like beatboxing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no. For the urban feel? Oh, no. No. That's too bad. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to the 2013 reviews. Here we go. This is, this is a rotten tomate. This one says, Despite much old school splatter, it's seldom frightening and oddly unfunny. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> Nigel Floyd from Time Out. The same magazine source that, uh, like the original, was not a fan of the remake. Giving it a 3 out of 5. Hmm. That's uh, that's unfortunately hmm. uh, a gore fest that's just ineffective enough to whet fans' appetites for a sequel, even as it kills everyone else's appetite for dinner. Ooh, Yikes. that's that's not nice. Um, fun fact: I actually reviewed this for GeekLegacy.com, and uh, I'm just gonna read my little uh, brief little thing here. A lot of fun. Evil Dead, the highly anticipated remake to Sam Raimi's 1981 cult classic, The Evil Dead, is horrifically delightful. Director Federer Alvarez hits a home run and pretty much just wrote the book on how to successfully remake a horror film. His formula has found a way to satisfy diehard fans of the original while gaining new fans in the process. I'm sold. Hmm. That was Justin Cavender. Hmm. I'd never heard of him. April 4th, 2013. April Fool's Day? Huh. <laughs> hmm. Okay. That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, what about box office wise? What did they were, were these films commercial successes based off of the box office numbers compared to what their budget was for the film? Uh, I think so. The The Evil Dead from 1981 uh, that cost them a whopping $350,000 to make and it raked in $2.4 million. So, given the small scale and the amount of monies, I think that's a a success in the form of getting their investors their money back and then some. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal, um, especially since advertising is nowhere near where it is today, and slasher films were uh, very much a niche audience back then. Um, and then fast forward to 2013, uh, Evil Dead brought in $54 million domestic $43 million in foreign box office, totaling $97 million gross. Okay. That's not bad. Yeah. No, that's not bad at all. Um, you know, interestingly enough, though, hold on. What's, 
I just want to check something really fast. I wish I had my notes in front of me. Just gonna have to have to look it up. Do you happen to know how much money it made? Um, the miniseries it or no or... the movie three hundred twenty-seven million. Uh, so that, that's the that's the highest grossing the the the, the horror remake. film. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So that's the highest grossing horror film to date. That's three hundred and twenty-seven million dollars. That's insane. That's that, a lot. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of quiche. I like that movie a lot. Yeah, it's good. So I'm sorry. Worldwide, uh, so that was just domestic. The 327 million worldwide, it was 700 million dollars. Mm-hmm. That is uh, that's Cracker Jack box office, my friend. <laughs> I got a Dakota ring in the Cracker Jack box. <laughs> yeah, be sure to drink your Ovaltine. It's a crummy commercial. <laughs> commercial. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> oh gosh. Um. Yeah. Well. Um. I'm sorry, is that all for the domestic then? Is that that is. I just wanted to, to put into to perspective that this movie, The Evil Dead, you know, made $97 million, whereas it made $700 million. But, yeah, well, it, I mean, so I think that with uh, the box office, it, it's, it's interesting because, well, inflation obviously comes into play a little bit, but uh the evil dead the 81 version was only about $350,000 to make so in that sense it was a an indie film and for it to make as much as it did was was fantastic i mean those are those are superhero numbers um and then to gain cult status enough to spawn a um essentially anthology or multiple sequels um is is pretty cool uh, because we wouldn't be talking about both movies had it not been for the the OG nineteen eighty one Evil Dead. So right, um, a couple uh, fun things about it. So this was so Bruce Campbell, um, Ted Raimi, and um, Sam Raimi were all friends in high school and or in college, and they uh, decided to start doing movies together. Um, so. It definitely was a young filmmaker um, first movie kind of thing, and they took a shot. Uh, a studio took a shot on them and went ahead and and went with it. Um, Bruce Campbell actually twisted his ankle uh, while running down some some hills and stuff out in the Tennessee wilderness. Um, and Sam Raimi actually poked his injuries with sticks to make him limp more. So to, to literally add insult to injury, he, he continued to poke his, his wounds to make him limp more all for the movie, right? All for the movie. Um, they used uh caro syrup and, um, and food coloring for the blood. Uh, it got so, there was so much blood in there, fake blood, that when Bruce Campbell was trying to put on one of his shirts one day that was covered in fake blood, it was so hard and brittle because that carouser just, like, saturated it that the shirt actually broke. It, like, shattered, um, which is disgusting because <laughs> it's just pure sugar, basically. Um, yeah, and then... Um, so they actually, the original cabin that they had for it, uh, they buried, they made a, uh, all the crew made a time capsule and they buried it underneath the fireplace once they wrapped principal photography or shooting and stuff and they um, buried it under the fireplace. The cabin has since burned down, but the fireplace is intact. So that, that memory box is underneath there. That time capsule is still underneath there. I'm sure it's been uncovered, but they with the idea of it that's what they had 
Um, and it was in a, ro a remote location, too. So that was pretty neat. Um, what about 2013? What do you have, Justin? Yeah, some fun ones. Um, according to reports in the press, the film used 70,000 gallons of fake blood. That's a lot I, of blood. Yeah. In an interview, uh, Fede Alvarez said that they used 50,000 gallons in the final scene alone. That is insane. Are you serious? Yeah, this is compared to the 200 to 300 gallons used in the original. Uh, so much so, it had such an impact that 95% of the remake was shot in order. And they did this because a lot of the film takes place in a controlled environment. And the level of blood and violence gets worse and worse as the film progresses. And by shooting in order, they can throw blood on the walls and not worry about messing up another shot. You know, hmm. so it doesn't need to be clean or anything. Mm -hmm. Kind of cool. Yeah. Um, let's see. Um, the film is banned in the Ukraine for its extreme violence. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. In, in Ukraine? Yeah. <laughs> like, the Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay. <laughs> I don't like violence there. Uh, what? <laughs> Were they like? They don't. They don't like violence there. <laughs> they like Chernobyl, though. <laughs> hey, relax. Hey. They don't really because they're remaking their own version. <laughs> too, too, too soon? Too soon? Yeah, <laughs> pretty soon. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's pretty soon. Um, let's see here. What else is famous? Um, la, 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 la. Uh, this is Jane Levy's first major horror role. It's pretty exciting because she did actually a pretty good job. Uh, Diablo Cody polished and in quotes Americanized the screenplay while remaining uncredited. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Um, did you notice the Hills Have Eyes poster in the 81 version? I don't think I did. So in the scene when um, when Ash and Steve go down to the basement, there is a ripped up uh, Hills. Ha the Hills Have Eyes poster in the background. The, the original Stephen King or I'm sorry, uh, original Wes Craven film poster that's uh, there. Um, that's a nod to, um, I think. The Hills Have Eyes when they show a, um, oh shit, I can't remember the other poster. But anyways, the Hills Have Eyes poster is in that one. Oh, a Jaws poster. Oh. Yeah. I like that. So, I know, I know you like Jaws, but, um, yeah. It's all exciting me. stuff, man. That is, that's some fun trivia. You really like, uh, you stoked my brain there a little bit. Yeah, stoked so. it like a fire. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so let's start out with uh kind of your overall reaction justin which film between the two the 1981 evil dead or the 2013 remake which did you prefer more i prefer the remake the 2013 version really yes in fact i gave it an a minus in my review wow yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, that's high man that's keep, keep in mind um that evil dead 2 i would actually put higher than the evil dead it was you know basically a spiritual remake of that movie in itself mm -hmm. and it is lightning years better than the original well they had a budget too for evil dead 2 but i i mean i agree you get the iconic scene where he cuts his arm off and he adopts the chainsaw on his arm and, right. and you, you get the true ash that we know today that spawned off all these other iterations of the evil dead um interesting okay so i preferred the 1981 version um, that, that is somehow less interesting to me <laughs> and 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 in this podcast we will discuss that but essentially i just thought that Overall, it was a better film. 
from a purist standpoint, it was a better film, and I had a better time watching it overall. All right. So, let's jump into a synopsis. I'm going to read the 1981 version, and Justin will read the 2013. So, 1981. Five college students take time off to spend a peaceful vacation in a remote cabin. A book and audio tape is discovered. Audio tape? Hmm. Is discovered. <laughs> like audible? A, a record? <laughs> a record is discovered. And it is evil and its evil is found to be powerful once the incantations are read out loud. The friends find themselves helpless to stop the evil as it takes them one by one, with only one survivor left with the evil dead and desperately tries to fight to live until morning. Written by Miss Murder. Ooh. Interesting. That was a weird synopsis. Okay, 2013. Sure. This is from Sony Pictures Entertainment. Five twenty-something friends become holed up in a remote cabin when they discover a, the Book of the Dead, and they unwittingly summon up uh, dormant demons living in the nearby woods, which possesses the youngsters in succession until only one is left intact to fight for survival. Dang, spoiler alert. I know, seriously. That's like that one movie, Lone Survivor. So, oh. There's like four dudes in this movie. <laughs> So you're Spoiler telling, alert. <laughs> you're telling me Mark Wahlberg is going to live. So <laughs> Honestly. Um, cool. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, so I liked the 1981 version more. Um, I really, really liked the creative camera use uh, that they had in it. There was a lot of Dutch angles. There was a lot of jarring shots. Um, Dutch hate there. <laughs> there was a lot of um, uh, really fun techniques that were being used at that time. And, oh, yeah, he's a real pioneer. I, I mean, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, Sam Raimi was, what, 21, 22, 23, something like that? Um, 24, 25, 26. 50. Uh, but it was, you know, it was really, it was neat to have that. And you had a lot of weird POV tracking shots and, and longer takes that that kind of essentially personified the camera and made it its own character. Um, and it built up that suspense. Um you know, I thought it was clever tension building uh, by some of the angles they used and a lot of the lighting um, that they took. Uh, there was a lot of long takes on the protagonists. Um, Too long. And I, well, but I think that, that that helped with the suspense. So, like, when Scott goes down to the basement, um, you have that, that awesome shot that that looks over the basement and it's it's lit from all around and it's just that dark square that you're focusing on as they're trying to yell down for Scott and you get no response. I mean, the suspension is building in or the suspense is building in that. Um, and in the eighties, you had a lot of cheesy moments. Like I love the Friday the 13th series, but there was a lot of cheesy like tropes that you would use in horror films. You don't and, think this movie had those? Well, but but this was before really. I mean, so what was essentially the start of the the slasher film genre? 1978, right? With with Halloween. Halloween, sure. So up until then, the horror films we had were 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 like zombie films and then we'd have maybe, you know, the the classic horror films like the the Wolfman, Frankenstein, those types of things. Um let me backtrack slightly. But um, the first Friday the 13th was 1980. Okay, so then one one year off, but you I mean, a lot can happen in three hundred and sixty-five days. Okay, 
<laughs> you still <laughs> someone could have a birthday in 365 days so you, you still have so you still have that slasher film genre that they're trying to, to to build up it's still very new though um but this was something that they were like we're not going to do a typical you know horny teenagers in the woods slasher film thing well, we're going to do something different something thought-provoking something ambiguous and scary um so sexual and violent. <laughs> it's sexual and violent. It's like sex on ice. Um, but let me backtrack slightly. So this is why I think horror is, is is so amazing. Horror films are so amazing because the subgenre of horror is is damn near infinite. Um, it's it's by far the the largest subgenre of any type of film genre, um, and it's it's ever changing. And you can do so much with it. And I think that it is slightly underappreciated. Um, I think Sam Raimi knew that, and I think that's kind of why he he went off of that because you can be essentially the most creative with horror. There's not a a certain formula you need to follow. Um, so, but with that being said, though, Justin, like I want to to kind of pose this question to you: like, what makes a a, a film scary? These directors back in the day, they knew their audiences and they knew what to do with it. But what, what makes a film truly scary? Uh, for me, I would say uh, the unknown and um, sort of being relatable and uncomfortable. For I me, think... for me, those, those are, it. it doesn't necessarily have to be music. While that helps. I just think that um, something that's able to tap into things that I'm personally afraid of makes all the difference in the world. So, you know, if they're able to capitalize, if the filmmaker is able to, to spark my imagination and have my own fears help drive the, the scariness factor, then that's a huge plus. I think once you sort of see the monster, then you're kind of taken out of it. And in the case of evil dead, the thing that's chasing you is the camera. So you don't see anything for a really long time. That's very interesting you say that, though, because in the 2013 remake, the reason why I was rolling my eyes so much was because they they actually showed a monster. They showed a demon. When when Mia got possessed, they had that – I don't know if that was her or if that was the original girl who got burned at the very beginning of the movie. But there was a iteration of what the the evil was, and that – took me completely out of it. That was another same motif that you'd find in any type of cheesy horror movie nowadays. And so it's interesting you say that, and that's that's why I'm pondering why you prefer the 2013 to the original. Because in the original, and call it maybe budget issues or something, you have the perceived notion that there's this entity that we don't know what the hell it is that is constantly chasing you, and it is something that you can't escape, but we have no idea what it is or what it looks like. So I think in, in the case of Mia being a, an addict that is going through detox, she doesn't know what's real or not. So I, I think that sort of serves as a vehicle for you know her friends and family not being able to trust her because she's tried this before and she's going to be going crazy. And they sort of preface that saying... People go insane when they're going through detox. And so I think it's one of those things where we're able to believe her, but her friends are not. We see what she sees, 
so we can sympathize and empathize, whereas her friends cannot. But don't you think that's kind of like calling out a pitch before a pitcher throws it to a batter? Like, hey, I'm going to throw you a slider down and in or something like that. Because the whole time, the, the you know, we're going to go cold turkey with the drug use thing. It, it, it really kind of annoyed me slightly. Um, and, and maybe it's because I know film well enough um, that and I, I'm not an expert. So but funny. I, well, I, well, that I know film well enough, but, you know, I'm, I'm anticipating now in the back of my mind that they're going to hinge on on this this drug, uh, not addiction, but well, yeah, this drug addiction that she has. They're going to use that in play for her getting sober. And, you know, they say it's, it takes three days of withdrawal. Okay, cool. Well, they're in this cabin probably for a weekend. So there we go. Is that the allegory to the possession? Um, it, it just, it unfortunately was putting us in a place and kind of guiding us to where we needed to go. And that's what frustrated me. I, I appreciate that they tried to take a different angle with it and, you know, use the drug use as something of like, like you're saying where that's her hallucinate, her hallucinate, uh, hallucination. Um, sorry, but I don't think that it was something that really stuck with me nor made me scared sure. at all. So, so for me personally, one of my biggest fears is someone not believing me. Um, you know, I'm a very honest person. And if I were to, let's say, see some sort of, unexplained phenomenon you know like like a ghost or a ufo or or let's just say that i was wound up i was a suspect in a murder case and i knew i didn't do it you know i i i, I do declare i do declare <laughs> yeah uh my biggest fear is that people don't believe me and so for for me and just watching that and how she's trying to she's pleading with them like look it i know that you guys think I'm crazy, but I'm not. There's some horrible shit out here. We got to go. Um, for me, that is heightened because I know I can't really relate, but I know that that is something that I would hate to have to deal with. Uh, so just for me on a personal level, that's the that's the um, the relatability I was talking about. Like for me, that's one of the key factors in what makes something scary. I don't have to wait for my walls to bleed to know that it's time to move out. If I'm in a scary house, if something weird happens, I'm gone. That's all there is to it. It's probably just the burst pipe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, so that's just one of those things for me that hit home. And I remember when I was watching this in the theater, I was all by myself. Um, you know, I didn't go with a friend or anything. I went to a screening, and um, you know, everyone in that theater was like losing their mind. I can tell you right now that that. There was an energy in that theater of of shock, awe, and fear. <laughs> you know, so that's that's interesting. I'm going to touch on what you just said right right there, but I want to kind of backtrack slightly. Um, so, but in the original, she she does the same. Shelley does the same thing when she's essentially raped by the tree, and you you don't see any type of entity. You just see these branches like violating her, and that that scene was hard to watch, but she comes in there and she's like, Ashley, like, I want to leave. We need to get out of here. And they don't believe her. They're like, Hey, you'll be fine. We'll wait till the next morning. Um, so in that same sense, she's feeling kind of what your, your, your fear would be that, that someone, you know, wouldn't believe you. Right. Um, and I thought that that was more effective without putting some sort of entity or some sort of face 
or monster to what we had to, to see and like discern essentially. Um, it's, it's funny that you say uh, like how you saw it. So I think one of the biggest things with horror films, and I guess you could say films in general, but especially horror films is the setting you're in. So I purposely watched uh, both movies at night by myself in my apartment, sound all the way up, all the yeah, all the lights off, um, me with a pillow holding it <laughs> as comfort, um, because I wanted that full immersive experience. I wanted to be terrified while watching the movie, and anytime I heard a drip from my faucet or a creaky stair upstairs, I paused the movie and look up. You know, like I I wanted that heightened awareness. My adrenaline should have been pumping, and that's I I think why people gravitate towards horror films is because they want to feel that level of excitement. Um, it gets them really kind of into it. Um, and so your theater experience, since I had not seen the two, 2013 film until last night was probably a lot different than my home viewing experience. Um, Cause you were full of a lot of people who had this heightened awareness and it was just me in this rolling my, my damn eyes. <laughs> Right. Well, sometimes that can be scary too, watching a movie by yourself in your living room. Yeah, uh, like I was, like I was saying, like the sounds and stuff. But luckily, it's quiet as hell in my house. But yeah. And I think another thing too for me personally is uh, self-inflicting wounds just rub me the wrong way. I I don't yeah. like any kind of face damage. I yeah. Don't, I don't like limbs getting chopped off, things like that. And there was a lot of that in this movie. I I <laughs> and, literally. I literally wrote in the notes, uh-uh, don't like when she splits her tongue with a box knife. <laughs> yeah, that was awful. I hated that part so or when, much. Or when she threw up all over her face and into oh. her mouth. Um, she cuts her face off, like, in the bathroom, like Nicolas yeah, Cage the, face off. <laughs> dude, totally. And there was the one lady with, the like, the, the meat carver, and she's just cutting Ooh. off her arm. I mean, there's so many self-inflicted wounds in this movie that just made me cringe, and I was grinding my teeth so hard. And, uh... <laughs> It's just, it's brutal. And and for me, that's another, while it's just gore, it's a different kind of gore. It's not like, it's not like, uh, like torture porn kind of thing. It's, it would just be more like, oh, I could never do that to myself. You know, it just grosses me out, but it also makes me scared and I want to look away, but I can't. And I, I like that feeling of being uncomfortable, which again, was one of my points and what makes a movie scary. Yeah. Feeling uncomfortable. And that. All of those scenes. Once once it hits the fan post uh, Vine attack, I am one hundred percent uncomfortable, and I and I never felt that in the original. And you know, I was gosh, I was in high school when I saw Evil Dead the first time, uh, the nineteen eighty one movie. So it was like nineteen ninety four, ninety five when I saw it originally. So I was already, um, you know, a, a teenager, whereas. Like a Nightmare on Elm Street, I was in elementary school, so that for me that was a much more scarier. Uh, I was able to identify the campiness and the cheesiness of of Evil Dead pretty pretty quickly, whereas this one doesn't really have a lot of that. I mean, there's the one character, uh, what's his name, like Eric, the blonde dude that's just it, terrible. Yeah, in 2013. Yeah, so yeah. he he is just doing everything he's not supposed to do in, in this entire movie. And he gets hurt a lot. And, yeah, he got uh, stabbed in the eye by a needle like 20 times, which yeah, that was crazy. That was his whole face. Yeah, that was bad. You know, and then he got shot with a nail gun. And 
and he got his hand crushed with a crowbar. It was just bad. He he got it bad. And uh, I mean, it's all his fault ultimately. So it's not terrible, I guess. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like that's what you get, fucker. You know, <laughs> like just a quick PSA. If there is a book that is covered in a black garbage bag and bound <laughs> in barbed wire, it's probably a good idea not to open it up. So that that's something that was interesting is is he had the foresight to be able to be like, hey, look, I think this is bigger than her just having like drug hallucinations or something like that. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that it's demonic possession. Yet he was somebody who would open this up when there's all these things that say, don't don't open this, blah, blah, blah. You know, and and he was like, screw that. I'm going to open it. Right. So I I think I think there's a couple of things there. I think one. He thinks he's better than he really is. You know, he's he is, uh, you know, he's got like this some sort of academic like hubris where he just feels like he is just the smartest man in the room and he's better than anything that this cabin can throw at him. And he's also upset that he's there. He thinks it's a waste of time and he's mad at his friend who he feels abandoned him. So I think he's just kind of got a lot going on um, and he's he's too lame of a character for us to really dive into. Um, and so I think it's just, uh, that's what I picked up from him was that he just thought he was better than everyone else. He was smarter than everyone else. And ultimately he was humbled. I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 I could see that, I guess, but, um, I was kind of confused on how they, they wanted their characters to be like, I didn't know if they wanted to be almost meta in the sense of like, so the part when they throw in the 2013 version, when Eric throws the book into the fire and you know that in the 1981 version is throwing that book in the fire was how he defeated the evil dead. Right. Um, and they kind of, it, it was actually pretty cool when he throws it in there and they, they subverted uh, our expectations of, Oh shit. It's not just going to take a book burning to, to, to kill this. So I like that, but I feel like they didn't st- you know, stay that course essentially through the film. Um, and so that's where it kind of, it, it lost me in the 2013 version is they weren't true with their characters the entire way. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I found a really good, uh, a really good explanation on, 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 on why horror film is, or horror films are, are, are scary and how they can be. It's from Celticsblog.com. Um, so first of all, and I'm just going to read it verbatim, but first of all, uh, they have to situate the narrative in the theme of some inherent universal fear. So like the dark death monsters, the unknown, various phobias, the supernatural and so on. So kind of like what you were saying, Justin, um, like one of your universal fears is people just not believing you, even though you are a hundred percent like, right. Um, that's a universal fear you can play on. Um, the second would be to establish an emotional baseline that will allow the audience to project themselves into the story. So being able to present something where it's like, we've all had dinner before. So having haunted mashed potatoes or something, I, I don't know, I'm not a filmmaker, but um, that's something that is relatable to the viewer. Um, and then third and most important is to build tension and subvert expectations. Um, atmosphere creates suspense. Suspense is ratcheted into dread. And then you choose how to exploit that dread. Was it just the cat making the sound or was it something worse? So like for me, like when you hear things in the background, you hear creaks, you're like, what could that be? And then 
ultimate like and then it well not inversely but like i in conjunction i hear that in my house and i'm like oh crap i just heard a sound that sounded similar or my mind thinks that and i think that that is a hallmark of a good horror film when all else fails according to this you can use the jump scare and that justin is one of my biggest gripes about horror films nowadays is the jump scare do you think this movie had a lot of jump scares i think the 1981 version had a few the 2013 had a lot more Really? I don't even remember any jump scares. Oh, I remember. Because I was watching them, and I'm like, are you serious? And it was when, and you can tell. So you can always tell when the jump scare is about to happen, is they slow the music down, it gets dead silent, and you're like, okay, I'm waiting I'm waiting for someone to grab their shoulder, or a dog to jump across the screen, or something like that, right? And And I feel that that is such a lazy tactic to use. And it should not be a trope in horror cinema today. It's fine to use it a few times if it's if it's beautifully done, um, but it shouldn't be something that we constantly have to essentially clench our buttholes to, right? So, like, and that's a really <laughs> that's a really just visceral term to use. But um, if, if you have something, if you're watching a horror film, right, you're already on edge. Why keep teasing the audience with jump scares and then you get to your climax of the film or you get to your actually actual truly scary moments and they're kind of already over it because they've had so many small little terrors up until then. Does that make sense? I guess so. But I mean, I kind of like the jump scares, so it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't affect me in a negative way. But I mean, I like I like the buildup like when if, for example, um, when a character comes into a room and they're trying to uncover what's happening, you know, they're they're exploring, they're discovering, um, and there's little things happening, you know, like it's it's really quiet. I I like that because like let's just say that it was at nighttime and I went out to take out the garbage and I heard something, you know, it it would pique my interest and I would have this heightened sense of awareness. And I, I might get scared, even though I'm doing something a little bit stupid, like just taking out the garbage. But I don't know what's out there. <laughs> and and I like how that transitions on camera. Like, I like how they they hear something, they see something, they inquire as to what it is. And then that discovery is either going to be a jump scare, which in most cases it is with horror movies, or it's going to be nothing. And then there's the jump scare. <laughs> And I, I don't know, I kinda like that. And even like the subtleties, like when when the brother's going down the stairs to the basement and there's that box cutter that was on the counter and the light flashes over it, and then it goes dark, and then when the light comes back over it again from the swinging light, it now it's now it's gone. Yeah. I, I, I love stuff like that because you know it's happening. That's the tension that's building. I really dig that. For me, that's that's enough to make me kinda squirm in my seat and then i like the payoff and even even in the final battle when it gets all crazy the jump scares are are gone it's just it's just a relentless terminator going after this this poor girl and you know there's the scary moments with like the knife going through the the walls and everything and then it's like cutting her you know getting like all of her weird spots like on her knee it's like, yeah. oh my god, that's awful, I hate that. And then it's like on her shoulder, oh my god, I hate that too. And everything that's <laughs> happening right now is awful. And then like when the car lands on her arm and she's got to find a way to rip that off. And it's just, it's horrifying. And <laughs> for me, that is that is scary. I can, who wants to be chased? That's terrifying. I hate being chased. 
And even though this thing is injured and she cut off its leg, you know, and it's crawling towards her, you know, her her final moments are, are there. And it's just one of those things where, you know, they talk about superhuman strength where you would just pick up that Jeep and, and, and lift it up in the air because you're so strong. Rawr, I had my multivitamin. But in her case, it's, nope, can't pick up the Jeep. I'm just going to rip my arm off and, and go from there. And that was that was horrifying for me. See, and I don't think that that in that final, you know, Terminator battle scene that they took jump scares out of it. I think that there were jump scares in there, but we have been conditioned so much by shitty horror film that we have seen a lot of these jump scares. Right. Okay. So she's crawling behind that, that, uh, whatever, um, fixture in the space. Yeah. I I love that. That claustrophobic feel. I thought that was great. But did you anticipate that the machete would come through there? The wall? Um, I mean, I don't know, maybe a little bit, but I, I was half expecting her, the monster to try and crawl in there with her. I, know, like. but I 100% knew that that was going to happen. And I knew it was going to happen like three times she was going to miss and then she was going to hit her and then she was going to narrowly escape. I mean, that's the, that's the trope that I'm talking about. Like that, that jump scare that they presented was it, it, it may not have seemed like it. And, and, and like, I'm going to caveat again, all this by saying I really did like the final, like 20 minutes of the 2013 version because I thought it was very well done, but they still were hinging on that jump scare. And it's something that didn't subvert my expectations. Maybe if this was 20 or 30 years ago, then yes. But because we've seen it done so much, it, it's something that I'm just numb to, and it, it doesn't scare me anymore. And I think it's it, it's kind of tacky to do now. Oh, that's too bad. Because I, I didn't find it to be... I didn't look at it as a jump scare. I looked at it as this girl was on the run, and this thing, this relentless demon, was just trying to go after her. And it was just one scary thing after the next. I didn't, I didn't... I wasn't jumping, like, out of my seat every time a knife went through the the, the boards... I was just like, oh my god, you gotta get out of there, you gotta get out of there. I was, I, I had more of a, of a, a heightened sense of, of fear, but I wasn't, I wasn't jumping out of my seat. It was, it, every time the knife went through the boards, I wasn't more scared, I was just scared the entire time for this poor girl to get the hell out of there. Were you I laughing? Did. Were you laughing the whole time? <laughs> I, I was. Oh my god. When I, when I saw this in the theater, I could not stop laughing. It was terrible. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I can't take this anymore. This is too much. It's so funny that you laugh when you're scared. Like that's oh, so funny. Brutal. But that's but that's interesting because this is why I love horror film is because in in horror cinema is because we it elicits these emotions that we have that they they come out right. So when you see like a, a drama or when you cry. Um, it could be because you're sad or because you're happy or something, but seeing like a horror film, you laugh, a laugh could be for comedy, but you're laughing because it's almost a defense mechanism. Cause you're like, I don't know what else to do except laugh because I'm scared. Right. And, and it's so interesting to me. You'll see people that will cover their bodies. You'll see people that will just, they'll almost like tense up and kind of puff their chest out. You'll see all that kind of stuff. It's that fight or flight mentality. And that's, what's so cool about horror cinema is it elicits those, those emotional responses that, we never have, ne- have never really had before other than, you know, in a life or death situation or something where our adrenaline is pumping and it's, it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I think that 
it's it's something unfortunately that has been done too much and i i was kind of bummed out and i thought that something like a remake to such a classic horror film um like the evil dead would avoid using that tacky mentality um have you ever seen and i'm sure you have did you see um uh oh shit ethan hawk um and it's uh he uses like eight millimeter film and he reviews it. It's a, it's a modern horror film now. Um, Oh gosh. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Hold on. We'll come back to it. Cause I'll remember it. Um, sinister. Did you ever see sinister? Oh yeah. 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 I saw that. I so, got it free when I bought something. I bought, um, Doritos. Like, no, no, no. It was like, I bought the evil within, and I got to pick out a scary movie, and that was one of them. So I picked that one. So, um, so Sinister, so that's a, an awesome film, right? And um, that utilizes the jump scare in a very, very good way. So when he's reviewing footage, because um, you know he's investigating this family that this house that the whole family like was murdered or whatever. Uh, there's these home videos that he's watching. Mm-hmm. And there's a home video of a lawnmower being pushed at night with like a light just at the end of the lawnmower. And all you see is is maybe three feet in front of the lawnmower. And you hear the roar of the lawnmower. You hear the reel of the film, which in itself is scary. And it's 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 flickering, you know, um, it doesn't the, the music doesn't slow down. It doesn't get quiet or anything. It just keeps on with the pace and then boom all of a sudden it shows a lawnmower going over a body and running it over. It's one of those moments that is so jarring and it comes out of completely nowhere because it doesn't get you ready for it. Like a typical jump scare we see where I'd be walking into the kitchen and then the music completely stops and I reach over and it's dead quiet and I turn the light switch and then a cat jumps out, right? This, uh-huh. this yeah, this is something that <laughs> this is something that you are not expecting. It completely subverts that expectation that you have and comes out of nowhere. Those are tasteful jump scares. The ones where you flick a light on or lightning crashes or something like that happens, those scares do not piss or they do not uh, make me scared in a film or terrified in a film. Sure. So like for me, I, I get most scared when there's some sort of wall separating the character on screen and the evil force and they know it's out there and it's coming. Like whether you're seeing it through uh, wood slats or through like a like a shadow on the wall, something like that. For me, that's like, oh my god! And then I like look around my house, and it's like, oh my god, is there, are all my doors locked? Like, what's happening right now? I don't want anybody outside coming in because it's like, for me, like home invasion is just terrifying to me, right? So, do I? You know, you open up the door, and then someone comes in. It's awful, or just feeling like a, a victim because this is my personal space. This is my home. There are others like it, but this one is mine. <laughs> you are not allowed in unless I invite you. And, you know, it's my safe place. And I hate the idea of something out there trying to get in. That just freaks me out. But I think, and I think that that's why modern horror films nowadays in the, the 2019s and 2018s and whatever are doing so well. So, like, when we saw Us, right, that's a home invasion film. But it is a... We're a family on vacation, and we have no idea what's going on here. Home invasion could happen to any of us. But I feel like Us is more of a thriller than a horror movie. I don't. I don't agree with that. I think there's. It's. It's. I synonymous. wasn't scared though. 
You were scared because you were laughing and you peed I a little bit. <laughs> no, I, I think there's a big difference between the two. But I don't I, think. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say I, I feel like Us is a psychological thriller, and it, it wasn't so much a horror movie for me. It had but intense it, moments, but I wasn't, uh, you know, like hugging you and and like freaking out. Like I mean, if you, if you would have watched, you <laughs> if you would have saw, I was not. <laughs> if you if you if I was watching like the Hills Have Eyes remake mm-hmm. or or um you know like fucking Jaws, just stuff like that, like stuff that really scares me. Like I I am just like find a happy place, <laughs> you know, just like laughing. Like, oh my god, I can't take this shit no more. Uh, for me, that is a big difference. I wasn't feeling that with us. I mean, it was a great movie. And it invoked a lot of conversation, but it was for me personally, it was more of a psychological thriller that made me think versus, um, you know, just downright scary. Okay. Well then, so Justin, did the narrative have some sort of inherent universal fear for us? Uh, I'm home invasion, I suppose. Cool. So, number one, and did it establish an emotional baseline that can allow the audience to project themselves into the story? Uh, I don't feel like I was relating to these people at all. Could you ha- could you <laughs> go on? Okay, could you go on a vacation like when you were at a lake house like a few months ago or whatever? Right? What if you went outside and you saw a Justin and Alex standing outside? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, could you project yourself into that story? Hypothetically. Sure. Hypothetically. Okay. And But I mean, it, I, did, I don't I get did, that these are your rules, but it's not a scary movie to me. So but I but but that's funny that you use Jaws as it because I don't think Jaws is a scary movie to me. Like right. sure it's terrifying and at the time in the seventies people were terrified to go swimming, right? And you said you lived in San Diego, so you're like, I'm not gonna go in the water. Yeah, I, I um, literally stopped going in the water because of Jaws. And seeing, and seeing that little Kipner boy get eaten when he's the same age as me was enough to say, nope, I don't need to do it anymore. Which, which is so funny because how is that a horror film when it's labeled as an action or sometimes it's labeled as a drama? Well, and, I, I, and, didn't, I didn't call it a horror film. I said a scary movie. Okay. But I think that's all kind of ambiguous. Like, that's what I'm saying. I think, is, I think it's a, yeah, it's like a misnomer. Like, I, I mean, anybody can call their movie a horror film, but, and that's fine. But if I'm saying, if you're calling it a horror movie, I would want it to scare me. And that movie did not scare me. Us didn't scare you? No. Yeah. And, and I, 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 again, I think that's based on who your audience and based on each person. Um, you can argue certain things like for action and drama and, and those types of movies, what, what the actual genre is. But I think that's what's so cool about horror is it is a a huge huge um pool you can you can dig from and i mean jordan peele believes it's a horror movie and it's his movie so absolutely that's that's fair he can call it a horror movie and that's and that's fine i just as 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 a fan of horror that particular movie didn't scare me i enjoyed it i thought it was fantastic but it wasn't a scary horror movie right um (coughs) excuse me okay um so next question i'm gonna pose is it better to do when you have horror genre? Because we were talking about that it is the most useful to remake and it's the easiest to remake, I guess, is kind of what you're saying. I'm sorry to put words in your mouth, but um, 
Do you think that uh, doing a near shot-for-shot remake and using this uh, source material source material accurately um, is is necessary when remaking this movie? No. Um, in fact, I would prefer it wasn't a shot-for-shot remake. I mean, Psycho was a shot-for-shot remake, and it was terrible. Okay. Um, I like how it has some of the same elements. You know, there's this remote cabin there's this book there's certain staples that make it familiar um along with you know these easter eggs and little uh tributes to the original i think that that's fantastic but there was all the names were different the protagonist was a female instead of a male Mm -hmm. um there i i feel like there were enough changes but still stayed true to the original and and I really did appreciate the 2013 version, how they, um, you know, they, they put in some homages to the original with some of those inverted camera angles, um, some of the shots on like the chains going through the loops for the uh, essentially trap door to the basement. Um, a lot of the same type of stuff that was that was neat that they did that because this film was I guess, essentially financed by Bruce Campbell and Sam Raimi and them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it definitely was doing fan service. And in that sense, I really appreciated the 2013 version. I was like, okay, I totally like that they're doing that. But I think that the 81 version did it, um, at a time when we weren't seeing these types of things happen. Like I'm talking about, he uses a lot of canted angles in these and he uses a lot of, um, uh, almost like sped up fast forward scenes where it gives this jarring aspect of you don't really have a feel of the entire house. Um, and I thought that that was real, real neat. And it was still, u- it's still used in film today. Um, but, but yeah, um, I, I, I think it's, it's cool. I'll, I'll praise the 2013 remake for the fact that when we were talking about like Eric burning the book, you can explore things that you missed in the original and maybe kind of be like, look, this is stupid. So why am I doing that? Kind of like how cabin in the woods was, was making fun of those things. Um, you can essentially be like, Oh, that's, that's dumb. And then go off of that and build off of that. And that's why I like the ending of the 2013 one a lot more. Cause it completely subverted what I was thinking. I was like, Oh, uh, David's going to be the final guy. And then, Oh shit. Whoa. Mia's actually back to life. And that was really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, like the thing with the original one is uh, they it's all practical effects. And most of this one was practical effects as well. The the remake was aside from the fire at the beginning and then uh, them sort of digitizing out cables and wires and stuff. It was all practical effects. And I think that is much more jarring when something horrifying happens on screen. Uh, it looks a little bit more real as I opposed to completely agree. Um so I love how they stayed true to the practical effects. Um, and with the original one, though, the, <laughs> the acting, not that, not that this is any better than any episode out of 90210 or anything, but <laughs> the, the acting in the original is pretty terrible at best. It and, is. Um, and that's fine. I, I love the, the, the campiness to it and everything. I just don't feel that it is scary, whereas the remake is genuinely horrifying from both, um, you know, the gore aspect to just the, the, we'll call it jump scares, as you like to put it. But I, it was enough to really freak me out 
Whereas in the original one, uh, you know, it was gross seeing like white fluid spew out of people's mouths. But ultimately, the makeup was uh, pretty cheesy. Sure. And and I, I mean, I disagree. I don't think the acting was good in either film. Um, I don't think the acting in the in the newer one. I, I felt nothing for the characters. I didn't say the acting was good. Well, but I think you said it was. I would say no, I, I said I said the acting was terrible in both. Oh, but I, but I said not that it's better in. If I had to say the acting was better than one than the other, I'd say that the remake had better acting, but mm-hmm. it's still not good. No, yeah, you're right. And again, like those six elements that kind of essentially make a good film: the script, character, acting, timing, sound, visuals. I think that both of these films hit the majority of those points. Um, the acting being probably the weakest thing, um, because. <laughs> It, yeah, it, it just it didn't. I, I felt nothing for them, and that's bad because maybe in a horror film you shouldn't feel that. But it's interesting to think whether or not you should. Um, right. Well, like so in Scream, for example. Yeah. Uh, the beginning of Scream when Drew Barrymore is being uh, harassed by the caller, that is a scary scene, and it is amazing i love the whole beginning that cold open to that movie is remarkable and like the, for me that is my i would call like the gold standard for acting in a horror movie <laughs> i think that is just dynamite and i was so scared when i was watching that movie and i saw it at a drive-in of all places and i was still freaked out and uh i don't think either one of these movies hits that level uh, when it comes to acting, right? it's possible uh, to achieve such a thing, but these two movies definitely missed the mark. My favorite line and most believable part in any one of these movies is at the very beginning of the 1981 version when Scotty loses control of the wheel and then he's like, Man, your steering wheel sucks. And then he starts honking and those guys wave. And he, he rolls down his window and he says, Go to hell. I wasn't waving at you. <laughs> <laughs> That is literally my favorite line from the entire series. Just makes me laugh every time. In fact, when I was rewatching it, I was like, oh, there it is. <laughs> he like goes through the trouble to roll down his window. Go to hell. I wasn't waving at you. Oh, gosh. That's great. Um, I, so, and I agree with you. I think that that opening scene to Scream is iconic. Um, Scream is a whole other animal, though. I think it's an anomaly to these because it's it's incredibly meta, yet it's it's such a it follows the the horror film um, formula and the paradigm, right? Um, but I'll pose this question: Do you think that that opening scene in Scream would have had less of an effect on you if it had not been for a recognizable face and name like Drew Barrymore? Like, if they put an unknown in there, do you think you would have had the same effect as you do now? Uh, maybe. Be- well, the thing is, like Drew Barrymore hadn't really done anything. Like she she stepped away from acting for a while. But she was still a big name. I mean, she was a child actor, and she was she was still a big name. Like you recognized her. It wasn't a a Mia like I've seen in no other films, and uh, it was something that she was a she could have been a final girl, right? Right. But what I, what I'm saying, Zach, is that sixteen year old Justin, who who saw the movie when it came out, had. <laughs> 
hadn't seen Drew Barrymore in a whole lot since then. You know, she had a small part in like Batman Forever. She was like in Boys on the Side, which isn't a movie that sixteen-year-old Justin would watch, <laughs> right? She was yeah. she was in Bad Girls, which is yeah. a cow, which is like which is a cowgirl movie. That's what sixteen-year-old Justin would watch. <laughs> and if and if it's not Tombstone or Unforgiven, I'm not terribly partial to Western motion picture shows. So <laughs> what I'm getting at is that. Yeah, she might have been recognizable, but I wasn't like, oh, hey, that's the girl from E.T. as I was watching it. <laughs> I, I was I was more concerned with her popcorn burning and her life ending. Well, and I thought that that was a fun way to to open a movie is because it was quickly into the action and that set up the, the premise of the film um, as opposed right. to us, you know, meeting these characters them all having fun drinking smoking weed whatever and then think bad things happening it was a right off the bat someone's killed and you're like holy shit that was terrifying so yeah like that's what i'm saying it subverted any of those types of expectations that we had for typical horror films or typical slasher films you should say right and even if you did recognize drew barrymore you probably wouldn't think that she was gonna die in the first five minutes of the movie exactly or in such a gruesome way but yeah exactly um yeah, so I mean, uh, go to hell! I wasn't waving at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that, uh, yeah, it, it, when doing a remake, it's not you don't necessarily have to use shot for shot stuff. Um, oh, no, make it and, your own, man. That's and, the and, whole point. Well, and when we talked earlier about it's the highest grossing horror film of all time, they used a lot of the source material, but they also used a lot of the book material and did their own thing with it, and I think that that was adapted for modern audiences, and it was thus more terrifying. So Right, and so I don't even know if it counts because it's already an adapted work, you know? it's They're already take, making it their own because it's a book. Yeah. You know, for, forget about the TV series for a second. Um, you know, they have, they already have a ton of source material. And for me, you know, I always get mad. I don't, I don't know if mad's the right word, but I always think it's a bit silly when people get so offended by an adapted work, not staying true to the source material. When, if you've read the source material and you know how it's going to be, don't you want a few things to mix it up a little bit? Because otherwise it's like, you know, you already know where it's going to go. I like the idea of of either uh, mixing roles up or combining characters into one, um, you know, just an, some sort of altered version to to sort of spruce that goose. Just, I'm a fan of that. Just spruce that goose. Um I mean, ultimately, Justin, my biggest gripe with the remake... Um, you and your gripes. I know. I, I eat a lot of grapes. You don't um, like anything. <laughs> you hate it all. I'm super cynical. Um, so my biggest gripe with the remake was, and I said this before, was just the poor choice of showing a physical demon monster type creature instead of creating that psychological um, ambiguous tension that we get from the first film. Um you know, we fear more what we don't understand and revealing something like a monster is just so underwhelming to me. Um, I use examples of great films like the Babadook and hereditary. Which where I, I couldn't stand Babadook. You I didn't thought, like Babadook. No, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't stand it. Interesting. 
So I it was so boring and dumb. Oh, I thought it was great. I mean that that slow descent into madness and that psychological turmoil that you have of of being alone and and everything. And I thought it was so interesting. It was different. It was different than what we had from the paradigm of horror films. And that's what was so cool about it. I mean, we you know we beg and for all these types of movies to just come out. It's it's so bad right now, Justin, that when I see a movie trailer for a film. I can almost immediately be like, that's not going to be good. Or, oh, that's going to be great or something like that. Um, I knew Dark Phoenix was going to be garbage the first trailer I saw. And I was like, this does not look good. Is that because that's a product of what we've been they've been pumping out and this this same type of formulaic uh, film that they're they're producing? Um, like in, in most horror films, like when you see the things like um, what were those Happy Death Day and uh oculus and those types of things and oh ouija all those movies that come out i mean <laughs> ouija. ouija ouija yeah i, what I a, like i like that movie of course you do it's um fun. It's see, fun. and I, I think that then that means that just depends on the audience like if you well, want right. i don't think i don't think the movies that you mentioned are for you i don't think you're sure. in the demographic i'm not i'm not i'm i want a smart horror film i i Sometimes, yeah, sure, it's fine to have some cheese. Like whenever I go to Olive Garden, I always say, "Give me more cheese," right? But um, <laughs> when you, <laughs> when you, and breadsticks, don't, don't get chintzy on me. I know you got a barrel of them back there. <laughs> when you um have an original horror film, and the moment that, like, when you're in a movie, like we were talking about earlier, in a theater with other people, seeing something uh develop for the first time it's so cool like when i saw a quiet place in theaters when i saw hereditary in theaters when i saw the babadook in theaters it was so interesting the audience around me because you kind of feed off of their reactions and stuff and to me i want to be surprised and when i see certain films and i'm like like i liked the final destination movies but after a certain point, you know, right, they got very, very formulaic and you're like, oh, OK, they're going to die this way and they're going to die this way. And it just got so stupid to me. Sure. But I, I think I think it's just it's a shitty way of 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 making a film just to make money. Right. OK, so there's a couple you you touched on a lot there. <laughs> I know. Sorry. No, no that's OK. I um, touch I touch myself a lot. So. Yeah, you do like that song. I touched myself. <laughs> Ooh. Um, it's naughty. Uh, or to even begin. Okay, so a couple of things. So, you know, you meant you started off your little tirade with... Uh, you, kn- <laughs> you knew Dark Phoenix was going to suck, like, three seconds into the trailer. And, and that's fine. And I feel like that's one of those things where it's, it's literally an injustice for that movie because you have... Uh, an under two hour movie that is supposed to touch on everything that is involved in the Dark Phoenix saga. Keyword there being saga. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things happening, and it gets crammed into one movie, and that's just not fair. Um, so you're already tearing away a lot of stuff, oversimplifying it, and when you do that, you get you know an inferior product, and that's unfair. Uh, it's unfair for the the cast. It's unfair for the audience, and you know it's going to make money. It at the end of the day, it's not the worst in those series of movies, but at the end of the day, it is just a, an inferior product, and it's unfair for everyone. Um, then you said you wanted a smart horror movie, and that's that's fair. I very much agree with you. I like the smart horror movies. 
but when I think of, for me, like my prime in horror movies, when I got the most out of a horror movie, when I got the most scares, when I got nightmares, when I got excited was when I was a kid watching these movies. You know, somewhere under the age of 16, a lot of times I was in elementary school. I saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre when I was in sixth grade. You know, Nightmare on Elm Street when I was in fifth grade. I was at a really young and impressionable age, and those movies were terrifying. So whether it be the greatest, smartest horror movie of all time or the cheesiest, goriest movie, it doesn't matter. When I'm that age, it's all scary. And to me, that's the most special time in in a kid's life when it comes to horror movies is when it's all scary and it's fun to go you know a lot of people now can't relate to going to the video store when you're having a friend sleep over and you know you rent that scary movie and you watch it together and then you're up all night talking about it that just that doesn't happen anymore that was a very special thing and i am so grateful that i got to experience that and i think even to this day it's still pretty cool when somehow you find a way to either watch it online, you, you sneak behind your parents' back to watch that scary movie because they know they wouldn't approve because it would scare you, and you do it anyway, and you're like, shit, man, I wish my parents would have stopped me from watching this movie. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's who I think these movies are for. I think, I think it's for that those little amazing gold nuggets in a kid's life when they can really just deep dive into these movies and be scared and, and, and just love every second of it. But you don't think that these these films for these kids where, uh, again, you know, like we have VOD, so there's no need to rent movies and stuff. But um, you don't think that the directors should take this as an opportunity to expand and do something incredibly creative and new um, so that this can have a lasting impression on these kids like like you were saying. Uh, I mean, I think that would be nice. Uh, Might be a bit naive. But I think it's a nice thought. Well, and like I look at movies like It Follows or um, did you see you saw Don't Breathe and you saw. Yeah, same um, director, by the way. Fede Alvarez. Yep. Don't Breathe. Yeah. So Don't Breathe was great. It was terrifying in, in certain senses. But like kind of back to what you were saying, the most terrifying part in Don't Breathe to me was the Stephen Lang part when he like had her in his basement. Mm-hmm. And that was horrifying to me. Like it was very suspenseful. But it was a suspense movie until that moment. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this completely took a different turn. Um, yeah, that was like a first date movie. With that, Alex. Yeah, oh, that's right. That's right. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she still wants to marry me. I like that. Yeah. She's a peach. Love, Alex. Um, I could but, eat a peach for hours. <laughs> uh, and, and then you made it weird. Castro. That's, that's, that's... <laughs> Face-off <laughs> I know. Face- I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna throw him from a plane or anything. <laughs> throw Mama from a train. That's another train movie. <laughs> <laughs> They're everywhere. They're so multiplying. Many, so many train movies. I got trains. They're multiplying. Mission Impossible One. <laughs> oh shit. Red light, green light. Red um, light, green light. <laughs> Doug Masters, we're going on. We're, we're not going on a tangent. Okay, um. So, but I I think that it's so intriguing and and the coolest thing. So, like, does Randy right? Does Randy make horror films? Uh, he shot one. 
So I, I think that he could attest too. It, 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 it's great having things like Netflix and these smaller or the, well, not these smaller, but like these companies that will give um, smaller artists a avenue to produce something that they've wanted to make for a very long time um, without having to go to a giant studio. Um, and you can have some really, really interesting horror films, right? So um, like I've always wanted to go to Fantastic Fest in Austin because they just play amazing horror films and they're absurd. Some are horrible, some are fantastic, some are mediocre, but that is for me to to decide. And horror is a, is a genre that is so subjective, so subjective. Um, and I just feel that filmmakers can can utilize that to to make that like what you were saying, those lasting moments in in people's lives where. I need to sneak behind my parents' back to watch this scary movie. Yeah. And and I just feel I feel that in the original Evil Dead, Sam Raimi did such a better job of doing that, of creating something that we had never seen before. And and ultimately the 2013 remake is essentially a remake to me. That's all it is. It's not something brand new, something that will spin off. It is a remake, a love letter to the original. And so that's how I accept it. There you go. I think that's fair. And I think that it's, I like that it's sort of uh, staying true to its, to its roots in a way. You know, I like the cabin. I like the book. I like the, the, the demonic possessions. And I, and I feel like it's a way to relate to kids today. You know, it, it would be really, it was hard for me at 16 to relate to the 1981 Evil Dead. So I can't imagine what it would be like to a teenager to relate to a movie that is now, you know, approaching 40 years of age. <laughs> right. So I, I can appreciate the, the freshness that it has brought to such a gory movie. And, may, and maybe, maybe the reason why they showed the, that, that manifestation of the, of the demon on the road and then in the vines was because maybe they thought that moviegoers today that uh, that are of the younger age need that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like that that's fair. I, I like just kids with uh, like in in basketball where he's like with your with your hula hoops and your Pac Man video, video games. Game. <laughs> you know, attention spans last nanoseconds. And yeah. so I I think there's a lot of truth to that. And perhaps in this this new day and age that that is how he felt that he could connect with the audience by by just getting that little tiny peek behind the curtain. While that isn't effective for for us, it perhaps might be effective for a younger generation. No, I think that's incredibly accurate. I mean, um, you, you have to adapt and survive. You have to bear grills it, right? Like, um, it's it's something that uh, I think the modern audience now, they need that type of monster. So, Justin, one of the scariest films that I've ever seen, um, and just because this is based off of all those elements I was talking about earlier, but how I felt afterwards was Paranormal, paranormal Activity, the first one. Um, very, very low budget, 
But the fact that you have this real-life couple with a essentially a home invasion, uh, demonic possession style thing, and you think your home is your safe zone, but really you're not safe. Uh, just the, the, the use of the, the camera, the use of the sound, the use of the unknown and, and like her getting dragged by an unknown thing was so effective for me. And I, when I got home, I mean, I wasn't screaming in the theater and stuff like that. But when I got home, every little sound I heard made it so much harder to fall asleep because I was constantly thinking about, I don't know where the monster is but there's this entity that's there. And so demonic movies since then have always terrified me. Right. And, oh, that's and a good point. Like hereditary, that's, I mean, that's something that has always terrified me. You could say the same thing for, for people who maybe were our age now, but back when in the 80s during the, the peak of the slasher film era, I mean, they were terrified of serial killers because serial killers like Ted Bundy and stuff were very real in the seventies and eighties. Um, so it's something that they play off the fears. Then um, I think that's a good point. Like you were saying though, you almost have to adapt to the times. You got to put a Fortnite dance and everything nowadays for, for kids to really be scared. Yeah. That's Stup- the worst. Stupid Fortnite. I mean, come on. So, I mean, so ultimately, Justin, though, I preferred the 1981 version just because of the thematic elements that they used and uh, the camera techniques and just the cinematic standpoint that Sam Raimi used. And it's it's it, it was the start of his awesome career. I mean, did you see Drag Me to Hell when he made that one? Yeah, I loved that movie. I thought it was so fun. It was such a nice throwback to because it came out in like 2009 or something like that. 2008. Such a good throwback to old weird style horror film, like kind of gross body horror. But um, very, very interesting. And that possession thing, like I was telling you, it's just it's very it's terrifying to me. So I I think I prefer the 81 version more. and I think it's a better film, but I really do like that the 2013 took that final like 20, 30 minutes and completely flipped it around and gave you that whole Mia thing, which was 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 pretty badass. Right. No, it's good stuff. I'll take it. Otherwise, it sucked. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we'll discuss them on our show. Uh, Thank you to everyone out there who has been supportive of us. Um, It's been so awesome to have everybody just, you know, tweeting us their thoughts, uh, their ideas, their comments. It's just, it's great. It's I have a chuckle, and it puts a smile on my face every day. Um, so heck, you know, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Uh, with all that being said, just please remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. Oh, he said it. He said it.